Hey, all you cool cats and commies. I'm Caleb. I'm Zach. And this is In The Mood. Your working class podcast. So when we had talked about uh, this podcast, and, and by the way, I've been trying to get on this podcast forever. I'm so, and I've been trying to, like, not very hard. But I can't, <laughs> I mean, like, I wanted to. And I kept telling you, like, hey, you should have me on your podcast. And it was one of those we men- kept mentioning it. And then it's like, it's almost like this year teaching has been. Oh, it's been the most busy year ever. Yes. Yeah. But like, I've always been wanting to be on it. And I've been telling you that I wanted to be on it. And I was like, waiting for you to invite me on it. And I was like, fuck that. I'm going to tell him because that's what that's how this happened. Yeah. I just went to your room, uh, uh, you know, a week ago. And I was like, I am going to be on your podcast this week. And make it happen. And here's the topic. And that's what it is. It's so easy just to get so bogged down in everything that I'm doing yeah. that I look up and it's been like three weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm so excited we've gotten to do this. So oh, far. absolutely. And like, I hope that uh, I can be more of a regular on here because this is a good time. Plus, uh, I don't you know, I assume many of your listeners haven't met you, but like you're a wonderful person. So oh, wow. I'm excited to spend more time with you. Yes. Uh, all right. So uh, when we came up with the site or when when i came up with the idea of like i'm going to tell you i'm going to be on your podcast <laughs> hey, you know uh and i thought it would be a good idea to talk about presidential legacies because biden had just passed his uh his uh, uh corona uh, relief bill and he was talking about what he wanted for his legacy so i thought it'd be a good idea to talk about that about presidential legacies and we're not going to talk about biden but i was uh thinking about who was the best president Right. And again, like we talked about, it's hard to to figure out what that means. Uh, So for me, right, because everybody has to have their own definition because there's so many different ways to measure it. So for me, who is our best president is the one uh, who, you know, the way that I would like to define it is who was the best person, who had the best character and who had morals that I believe were righteous and tried to stick to those morals as closely as possible. And so it became pretty obvious uh, that it was Jimmy Carter. And that's just what's so funny. Yeah. You know, growing up in high school, Jimmy Carter, you'd read about him and you go, okay, Jimmy Carter. Like mm-hmm. he's, they go, oh, the peanut farmer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he got exactly. in what the one term president. Everybody thinks of one term presidents and they think, well, now we can think of Donald Trump. Thanks. Exactly. But everybody thought Jimmy Carter. So please you know, go ahead. Most people think the president, most people think of his presidency as a failure. Uh, uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was a one-term president. Most one-term presidents are seen as failures. Uh, but I would say that he is most likely the best person to have ever been our nation's president. He didn't care about the political cost of his actions or his decisions, which led to him being a one-term president. Actually, Hamilton Jordan, which was one of his closest aides and uh, closest confidants at the time, said that the worst argument to make to President Carter to dissuade him from any action was that it would hurt him politically. So like, he didn't fucking care, right? Like, this is what's right and I'm going to do it. Oh, Mr. President, I'm not sure if you should do that because it would hurt your reelection camp, you know, uh, you know, it would hurt your reelection um, campaign. It would hurt your, your numbers. Fuck that. Right. Like this is the right thing to do. And like, that's what we want, right? He was unafraid to do what was necessary and what was right. And that is the legacy of a politician that is hard to come by and one that people find endearing. You mentioned Donald Trump being a one-term president, but look at politicians like Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, both of which are unapologetically themselves 
which again, by the way, Trump was also a one-term president and Sanders lost two nominations. So being unapologetically yourself and sticking to your morals, whether they're good or bad, doesn't seem to turn into a lot of political success. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, um, you know, bending to the will of your num of whatever will help your numbers will get you reelected, but does it really do anything? I mean, look at Ted Cruz, dude. Ted Cruz is a fucking chameleon, man. He changes who he is on every election cycle, and uh, people still don't like him. But he keeps winning. I mean, he, Senate, at least. He's yeah. not, not president. And he gets a great trip to Mexico, too, you know? Yeah, man, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> but like all things, and we said this before, you need to give context. So we need to give context to, to Carter's presidency. you got to understand that uh, Carter took office just 30 months uh, so, uh, you know, uh, two and a half years after the president resigned in disgrace, mm -hmm. the only time ever in our history that this happened. This is nuts. Right. Uh, so he faced some pretty epic challenges like the energy crisis, Soviet aggression, uh, Iran. And because of Watergate, the deep, the deep mistrust with leadership by uh, by the American public, which, by the way, we if, if you ask me, we have never recovered like we mm -hmm. since Watergate, the before Watergate, we had faith in our government. After Watergate, distrust is, is more the norm. Exactly. And, I mean, we also can't lose sight of the fact that we left Vietnam for good officially in 1975. So, yeah. I mean, that was less than a year later Carter took, pre took yeah. office. So, right. I mean, all just adding on to the right. factors. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, like, Carter did not become this way, by the way, of like, you know, sticking to his morals. He did not become this way after he became president, which I think adds more to his legacy. Right, The office did not make him a better person. But instead, I would like to say that he made the office better. Right, He stayed faithful to his message of uplifting poor, the poor of all races, at the risk of losing his white Southern base because he was a Democrat from the South. Right. After the Southern strategy. Mm hmm. Uh, so after Watergate, he knew that uh, trust and faith in government needed to be restored, and he worked to earn that trust back. He imposed gift limits and financial disclosure rules on his appointees. He slowed the revolving door of officials departing to uh, to work for lobbies uh, for their former departments. And he appointed inspector generals, inspectors general, because you got to get that plural, right, mm -hmm. uh, to root out fraud and mismanagement. You know, um, he did what he could to try and build back that faith. So he truly drained the swamp. Well, <laughs> he, whether or not he was successful, he pursued the policies that would have led to that. Yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't. No, you, I mean, you no, you got to point it out. You got to point it out. You know, you can say you, it's a thing, right? You can say this is your goal. And, and you know, as a teacher, mm -hmm. this is, you can empathize with this, right? Like, this is my goal. And then at the end of your, tenure at the end of the year at the end of the semester did you accomplish your goal mm -hmm. maybe maybe not but the policies that you put in place did they were they you know did they help lead to that goal uh and hopefully you know they did and you can learn and improve upon them but that's the lucky thing about being a well i was actually not true i was about to say that's the lucky thing about being a teacher is you don't have to be uh voted back in every year but, but yeah, teachers fine. in alabama work on year-to-year -year contracts so right. uh, you do you do have to be voted All back right. in. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, his presidential accomplishments, talking about Carter again, uh, are often forgotten and, and often ascribed to someone else. You know, this is something I learned about him that kind of blew my mind. And like, how did I not learn about this? He established the Department of Education. Really? 
Yeah, right? <laughs> it took until the 1970s to have a Department of Education. Exactly. Isn't that nuts? So he, did, he not only established the Department of Education, but he increased college tuition grants for needy students. Huh. Right? Isn't that amazing? So all these boomers that are like, you know, well, I didn't have to pay a penny back then. Or, you know, I was able to pay off college within as I went. Uh-huh. Thanks to Jimmy Carter. Thank you, Jimmy. He awakened the American public and Congress to the dangers of our growing dependence on foreign oil. That is literally a theme of every president that I've ever grown mm -hmm. up hearing, right? He created the Department of Energy. He had. He created both DOEs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he created the Department of Energy and began tax incentives for home installation of solar energy. He had solar panels on the White House. Yeah. This is a thing that we're like, oh, we desperately need this now. Mm -hmm. And this started uh, 40 yeah. whatever years ago. Holy shit. Uh, without Carter, by the way, our current president, Biden, wouldn't be the politician he is today and may have never won the 2020 presidential election because of that. Uh, let me tell you why that's the case. Mm -hmm. uh, he created, he being Carter, created the modern vice presidency, making Walter Mondale a full partner, giving him an office close to his own, access to classified documents, and involvement in every major decision. That sounds like how Biden served Obama. If Biden hadn't served in that capacity as vice president, he wouldn't have this, uh, uh, this political experience, this political legacy to lean on in his 2020 election. All right. So there's some room to say that Carter, because of his legacy, may have played a role in that. Uh, in the aftermath mm -hmm. of the Vietnam War, when America was at its low point on the international stage, Carter made some real foreign policy progress. Carter uh, produced one of the greatest, uh, uh, some of the greatest achievements in American foreign policy history. He personally facilitated a diplomatic negotiation at Camp David, and most people know about this, where he helped to produce the first, first ever Middle East peace treaty between Israel and Egypt that remains a touchstone in United States security policy in the region to this day. It's incredible. Uh, he moved away from Taiwan to establish full diplomatic relations with, with mainland China, uh, completing the opening begun by Nixon. And, you know, China, Taiwan, I definitely want to support Taiwan over China, mainland China. But you can't ignore the fact that China is not, uh, yeah, they're not a great partner in many ways, but they are a number one trading partner. You know, I mean, what is international economics, international trade without that, without mm -hmm. that uh, partnership? His administration began the unraveling of the Soviet Union that most Americans give Reagan credit for. And we're going to talk about him in a minute. He reestablished American leadership in the protection of human rights around the world, which helped subvert the power of communist and other dictatorial regimes. These initiatives, by the way, eventually led to the human rights initiatives of the 1980s and 1990s, which would lead to the eventual fall of the Soviet Union. He also helped uh, introduce intermediate range missiles in Europe, which, you know, as a pacifist, I don't like, but also as a realist, that really helped, you know, uh, erode the power of the Soviet Union. Right. Uh, the Carter presidency was viewed by most as a failure, largely due to largely due to his good nature and his good character, I would say. Because he was a good person, he's viewed as a failure. Uh, being a good person does not easily translate to being viewed as a good president. With Trump, we see uh, many wanting a strong, unapologetic leader. So losing a second term in a landslide obviously didn't help either for, uh, for Carter. 
Reagan's positive and hopeful message uh, contrasted with Carter's self-imposed obligation to be the bearer of unpleasant truths and to ask for sacrifice from the public. He was a realist, right? Uh, those characteristics painted him as a public scold during his time in office when he was just trying to be the adult in the room, which, by the way, became a very popular phrase during the Trump administration, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, oh, we need an adult in the room. His ambition for uh, comprehensive solutions to fundamental challenges that often fell short in a political system that is designed for not big sweeping change, but incremental change, right? Uh, in the beginning of his presidency, when he was trying to manage the White House, by the way, without a chief of staff, he sent Congress a blizzard of controversial legislative proposals, which he figured, he realized was a mistake. He admitted that he that, uh, that this overloaded congressional circuits uh, with too many competing initiatives, uh, but he got back legislation that paled in comparison to his lofty goals. And we could say that with Obama and his desire for Obamacare and what he ended up actually passing. Right, uh, his refusal to engage uh, in the give and take with Congress helped brand him as ineffectual, right? Because he's not compromising. But like, why would you be compromising on your moral stance here? Uh, but something a lot of people pine for these days, both from the left and the right, not to give in, but to get, you know, to get to, you know, actualize your goal. He lacked that trait that makes politicians seem, seem successful. Not that they are successful because of this trait, but they seem successful. No, he would not make anything. I'm sorry. Yeah, he would not make anything less than when he wanted look like a victory. So if he had to compromise, he didn't tout it as a victory. That contrasts very well with uh, what happened not that long ago with Senator Roger Wicker, Republican from uh, Mississippi, who took credit for the coronavirus relief bill, which he voted <laughs> against. Right. You saw this tweet. Yes. Right. He's like, look at all this money I'm bringing business owners. Definitely. I'm bringing business owners. Mm -hmm. in my Fuck off. Not, not one Republican voted for it. Not one. They voted for two under Trump. So he considered, uh, Carter considered the right thing for his country and let the political chips fall where they may. Right. So uh, he made an unpopular move at the time, appointing Paul Volcker as chairman of the Federal Reserve, which, by the way, most people now view as one of our best chairmen of the Fed, knowing that he would raise interest rates, but that was in an effort to squeeze inflation out. We had rising inflation, right? This, this uh, uh, ruinous inflation had plagued his predecessors. So he decided that he would rather lose the 1980 election than leave ingrained inflation to the next generation, a character trait that would be good today to combat things like climate change, income inequality, student loan debt, et cetera, unpopular decisions that might hurt right now to make a better future for our children and our grandchildren. Something that seems like a good, a good thing, right? A good trade-off. Yeah. Uh, and what was seen as uh, probably his biggest failure became the metaphor for his failed presidency. The American public saw the entire country held hostage by this second-rate power in Iran uh, in the antagonizing 444 days. There are diplomats and federal employees were held captive in Iran. By the way, uh, many people believe that if he had dispatched more helicopters to rescue these American hostage, hostages held at our embassy, uh, that it would have succeeded. But many, many uh, military commanders have argued that additional helicopters would have actually compromised the secrecy of the mission. So, you know, it's just these armchair, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks mm -hmm. right, telling you what could work. Uh, it also didn't help that the withdrawal of Iranian oil from the world market sent oil prices soaring. 
uh, producing double-digit inflation and left millions angrily await, uh, waiting in lines at gas pumps at the same time that Carter was seeking re-election. So again, it's just like these, it's these hard decisions that you got, you have to experience this bullshit for a short amount of time for what you believe to be the right thing, the payoff that, that you believe is, is, is fair, uh, you know, for humanity, not just the American public. So Carter failed from his character, not fitting with people's conception of the office, his plain spoken decency, his integrity, uh, and his courage to do what was right, despite the political cost are too often lacking among political leaders today. These are things that could help heal our increasingly fractured nation, honestly. Yeah. So he didn't, you know, a lot of reasons to point out why he was a failure, but I think that because of his motives, you could say easily he was the best person to be president. And it kind of goes back to what we hit on from the very beginning. This lack of context mm -hmm. leads to people just being able to make that knee-jerk reactionary decision that he was a prep, he was a failure. Because in my opinion, A, a lot of his achievements weren't sexy. No. They aren't headline grabbing, yeah. but they have long lasting uh, effects. It's also the idea, and I talk to this, I tell this to my students all the time with the decisions that they make <laughs> measured against their personal conception of themselves. Who do you want to be? How do you want to be viewed? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the decisions you have to make aren't going to be popular if you want to stick to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. And just keep going with that lack of context. Like they, I, I, the first thing that I ever think of with Jimmy Carter is the Iran hostage situation. Yeah. But what people don't think about is, hey, why were we there in the first place? Why yeah. were the Why were the Iranians mad to begin with? That we, you know, why did they take hostages to begin with? Yeah. You know, well, they just hated America. Well, why did they hate America? You know, let's get to the origin of that. Yeah. Let's get to the origin of how Iran had been a, this, you know, a this, colony. This goes back to World War One. Mm -hmm. Why with uh, I forgot the British guys' names, but the guys who uh, drew the map of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. It was uh, not Churchill, but no, uh, um, shoot. Well, Churchill was World War Two. Yeah, Churchill, uh, Clemenceau was France. Yeah, there um, you go. It's French and British guys. Neville Chamberlain, never Neville Chamberlain. Yeah, right, but they had they had they had appointed some dudes to to draw these maps in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And they just anytime all... you get white guys to draw a map of uh, of of brown countries, it's right. not going to work crazy out. Crazy well. how that happens. Like almost yeah. like oh, what the scramble for Africa. Yep. Um, <laughs> you uh, history in general. I don't know, but uh, history in general is a good one. But it's uh, yeah, it's. It all goes back to that because they don't have sexy uh, achievements. They aren't remembered as being yeah. po uh, popular. Well, it goes back to the, you know, after the opening of this, of, of our discussion here and getting to what we wanted to talk about, how do you measure the legacy of a president? And there are many different ways. So for me, it's about uh, moral character and upholding your morality through the bullshit. And I think Carter did it best. So mm -hmm. that's why I believe that he's our best president to serve. And now we're going to go to the antithesis of morality and character. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Ronald Reagan. Immediately following Carter. <laughs> Immediately following <laughs> Carter. We're going to talk about Ronald Reagan. And, you know, he, but he's viewed as one of our greatest presidents. The Republicans like love him as much as Lincoln. Like they literally just jerk off to him at night beside their bed. Like that's literally how many Republicans are. He's like, yeah. He's the gold standard. Oh, yeah. I remember having a teacher in high school. He was so in love with Reaganomics. So he was my economics teacher. He literally had a cardboard cutout of Reagan each day, and he would pray to it. 
literally pray to that cardboard cutout. Like well, that's weird. I, it's like that's how deep this. Well, you know, it's it's it kind of I can I can uh, think of a uh, an equivalency with uh, what happened at CPAC and the Trump golden statue. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, very true. Freedom. But anyway, um, <laughs> just keep thinking of Ted Cruz. What a, what an amazing man. I know, who, who also loves to emulate himself after Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's conservatives use presidency as the crucial moment when America began to turn back from what they called misguided liberalism of the New Deal to the truths of individual liberty and personal opportunity on which this country was founded on, unless you were a person of color, unless you were a woman, unless you were a Native American, and unless you were a landowning white rich male. But, you know, that's what our nation was founded on. But anyway. Exactly. um, He served from 1981 to 1989. He originally ran for president in 1976 and could have really thrown a wrench into uh, Ford running for his reelection. But at the, what was it, the convention, he ended up giving giving in and Ford got the nomination, which that's interesting to think about how that would have turned out. Yeah. I wonder what would have happened, uh, Carter... Reagan election prior mm-hmm. to a Carter uh, administration. I know. Yeah. So that's really interesting to think about. And, you know, he's regarded as the president who helped defeat communism, which we'll get into that in a second. Oh, yeah, right? Like Carter laid the groundwork. You know, exactly. And, you know, the uh, Soviets were already on the decline because of that never-ending war in yeah, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah, which happened under the Carter administration. Exactly. Began under right. the Carter administration. And, yeah. you know, communism was also going into a period of more, you know, like you said, in the 80s, dealing with human rights, people were demanding change. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. and, and I love how they call it communism, but it wasn't communism. No, it's not. We've it's never not. had a pure communist state. We have. In Paris. Okay, the Paris, okay. The Paris Commune. Okay. And Seattle. True. Not, not modern Seattle, but yeah, back uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Seattle. Okay, true. Touche. Yeah, but they lasted like, you know, Less than six months. Right. A piece. So, but, you know, I have this uh, section that I, I titled this whole section that we're going to talk about Reagan because everybody knows the, you know, he's considered Reaganomics, trickle down, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to call it Reagan's racisms. Kind of, <laughs> kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does. Reagan's yeah. racisms. Very good. And this starts off even before he was president, while he was still governor of California. Yeah. Was the famous Nixon tape. Have you heard about this before? No. <laughs> oh, so he had a conversation between Reagan, who was then governor, and yeah. Nixon, who was president. Right. And on the morning of October 26, 1971, Reagan, who was, like he, I said, he was the governor of California, told Nixon that African nations were to blame for the UN vote to eject Taiwan and welcome in mainland China. He's saying, and I quote, to see those, those monkeys from the African countries, damn them, they're still uncomfortable wearing shoes. Ronald Reagan. Holy fuck! And this did is... he think white people invented shoes? Exactly. Like it's a, it's like a word I keep teaching my freshmen. What is it? Uh, Eurocentrism. Ca- yes. Oh, Eurocentrism. I thought you were gonna go with the caucasity. Well, caucasity too. Yes, that's one. That's yeah. I love that word. Yeah, me too, man. I've been telling my friends they love it. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad. I'm, yeah, I appreciate it's gonna that. become more popular. And so, in 1980, when he was running for president, um, at an all-white, of course, 15,000 stadium in Mississippi. He said, I believe in states' rights. 
explaining that he intended to, and I quote, restore to the states and local communities those functions that properly belong there. You know, I don't know if you read about this, but this is something that I learned about Reagan uh, when it comes to states' rights. So he was he was governor of California mm-hmm. during the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and uh, California during the time had uh, free college, in-state college tuition. Mm-hmm. Did you read about this? I'm, I know some of what you're saying, but go ahead. Yeah, so uh, if you were a California resident and you wanted to go to an in-state school, you could go for free. But after the Vietnam, after the Vietnam War, or like throughout the course of the Vietnam War, he believed that all these goddamn hippies did not deserve the right to a higher education if they refused to lose their life for... Wait, why did we join the Vietnam War? Oh, yeah, Vietnam was a colony of France, and, like, the French military was losing the war. The United States was like, hey, France, you're our friend. We'll help you out. We can, like, maintain control of Vietnam. And then we fucking couldn't. And so, like, the 20 pe- years later. We- yeah. And so, like, the people, in uh, the, the great citizens of California lost their right to uh, instate a higher education uh, because of these goddamn hippies. And goddamn hippies. Yeah. Why can't you be good, upstanding Christian conservatives like me? I yeah. used to be a liberal. I used to love FDR. And then I grew up. Well, then he made a bunch of money on movies. Isn't that crazy how that happens? Mm-hmm. You get money and then you sell out. But anyway. um, And so, you know, this was... He gave that speech in Mississippi because he was trying to court George Wallace voters. Because George Wallace was trying to run for president. Yeah, 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 right, right. Right. And he was trying to court those states' rights, segregationist uh, voters. And he made the speech. Rainbow Coalition. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Literally. And he was trying to court the voters on the same day of the anniversary, only two miles from when, um, who was it, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner were murdered in 1964 in Mississippi. Where they were, the civil rights workers were murdered and then buried under the dam. That's oddly familiar. To a that, Trump rally. Exactly. I'm glad you see the comparisons. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole reason I pointed that. Yeah. The same time when Trump, on the same day, gave a rally in Tulsa on the anniversary of the fucking Tulsa massacre. Yeah. It's just like, my God. I mean, you're talking about an erasure of history. I mean, this is the problem, right? This is what we talk about all the time, a whitewashing of history. And then people want to rail against that shit and be like, well, you're brainwashing kids like... Dude, what? You don't know what June... Like, oh my god. You don't know this shit? Come on. And it's like, they know what it is. They don't, though, right? Because why would they? Why would these white people have a deep understanding of racial terrorism? Because, like, that goes against the narrative of white white and American exceptionalism. True. Uh, but I think, honestly, these people like, like Trump, like Reagan, they know what's going on because oh, well, they know that the locals there know about it maybe and that's their Reagan, dog whistle maybe that's their dog Reagan whistle. knows about it i don't think trump does true okay stephen miller knows about it yes okay. stephen miller jared knows, kushner knows about jared it. kushner maybe knows stephen miller definitely knows but even the people who Tulsa, honestly dude like they like they don't learn this shit either and i feel like it's like a dog whistle to racist essentially like because right, right. this they, is this is what wilson did mm-hmm. yeah it's like that's their way of like winking towards people saying, hey, I got you. Exactly. Saying, oh, states' rights. Oh, I'm going to have this on the anniversary of one of the most well-known massacres. What happens when Wilson decides to show Birth of a Nation and praise it? Mm-hmm. The 
clan yeah, skyrocket. I mean, right. Exactly. Like this oh, yeah. is not like the book's already been written. Oh yeah. They're just using the same book of white supremacy. Yeah. Um, so then I'll, my one of my favorite parts is his tough on crime section with Ronald Reagan. Uh, yeah. So you know, his own intelligence Ronald agencies Reagan. talking about the crack epidemic. His own intelligence agencies participated in the urban crack cocaine explosion and used the profits of these sales to buy weapons for the Contras that yeah. Congress refused to fund. The Iran-Contra scandal. Like, my God, he's a Teflon president, though. So, yeah, dude. And then they fucking let Ali North take the fall. Mm-hmm. And he ends up turning that into a cush million-dollar job at Fox News. I know. This fucking traitor on Fox News. But who else would you expect? That's fitting for Fox News. It is. I mean, it is. This I mean, is like, a- once you got to get rid of Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes, who are, like, you know, sexually assaulting people, we can at least get a traitor. <laughs> You know, you know, that's, a, that's a good second consolation prize. I mean, you know, mind. you just gotta like you you want to keep the same vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's important. Oh yeah. And I would just feel off if I did not include good old Nancy Reagan as well. Good old, good old Nancy Reagan. Good old Nancy. Her infamous "Just Say No," which I remember when I was in elementary school. Worked like, for me. Just say no. <laughs> <laughs> just say well, it actually did for me most of the time up until like after college. Yeah, well, was, you know, you grew up different than I did. You're a <laughs> you're more of a white Christian than I am. True, true. Yeah. You know, I'm just, a off off white Muslim. <laughs> true, true. So, oh, he would have loved you. Yeah, Nancy. But Nancy's "Just Say No" and her dare and all those campaigns. It was almost like an innocent thing, you know, like, oh, let's save our children, you know. And it just backfired by a president who then instituted this zero tolerance policies towards drug use, which was then it resulted in the explosion in our prison populations. Well, this is an extension of the Nixon legacy, too. Mm-hmm. When it comes to this drug. whole war on drugs. Yeah, it's like yeah. Nixon started it. Well, this is right. So going back to that, that thing about him ending uh, free higher education mm-hmm. for in-state students and for hippies, it wasn't just for hippies. You know, just like with Nixon, we're targeting hippies and black people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, obviously the drug war is an extension of, of how can we illegalize race without illegalizing race? I feel like this is like if TikTok existed back then, mm-hmm. tell me you're racist without <laughs> telling me you're, you're racist. racist. Yes. Hmm, we're <laughs> yeah. going to have a war on drugs. Yeah. It's like, well, uh, you know, uh, sentencing for cocaine mm-hmm. is 100 times less than sentencing for crack. Exactly. Boom. There you go. There's oh, your TikTok. There we go. Boom. Yeah. But, you know, and this is what led to that explosion in the prison populations because we see, you know, in the 1970s, there was less than, what was it, less than half a million people in our prisons. And now today. 22% of the world population, baby. I know, exactly. America first. It is insane. I mean, they, we take <laughs> it to new levels, this America first view. And it's just, you know, drug offenders who were arrested for nonviolent crimes filled the prisons, and led to the corporate uh, for-profit prisons. For crimes, and we're on a podcast so you can't see my finger quotes, mm-hmm. crimes that are uh, legal in almost half of our states. But yes, you know, they, they try to legalize, what is it, regulate morality and regulate race is what it comes down to. Oh, absolutely. And it's just, it's mind-blowing. You know, now we have the largest prison system, like you mentioned, in the history of the world by sheer numbers and per capita. It's, you know, we had an, what is the explosion between the 70s and today is close to 300% of an increase. I mean, like, we're fucked up when we have, like, there's two countries on earth that have over a billion people, and we have a third of that. 
330, 340 million people. Mm-hmm. 22% of the world's prison population? That sounds like an authoritarian dictatorship state. That's fucked mm. up. Mm. But no, it's not that. It's actually the freest goddamn nation on earth. Exactly. That's what we are. We are the beacon of liberty and freedom. The beacon of liberty, the freest nation on earth, also the highest incarceration rate. Exactly. And what better book to explain that than Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow detailed in great detail how Reagan, the Reagan administration spurred this high school to prison population pipeline. Yeah. And, you know, it explained about the troubled prison system and how the Reagan administration was literally... You know, the Nixon administration started it, and then Reagan, like, added steroids to it. Dude, getting back to, you know, our students, we teach at Holy Family. We're a private school, but we teach uh, uh, a working class uh, population. You know, all Mm -hmm. of our families, not all of our families, but we would like all of our families to qualify to be uh, there around or under the poverty line, because this is the population that we aim to serve. And... I teach a government class. And part of that is, you know, I teach the the judiciary and I teach laws and and how to interact with police is one of my very, very favorite lessons to teach. Shout out uh, Steve Silverman, uh, along with uh, one of his friends, created the the, uh, Know Your Rights, or I'm sorry, Flex Your Rights campaign, a nonprofit out of D.C. And I use a lot of his information uh, to teach my kids. But it's unfortunate because I have to teach kids like I'm going to we, we've been doing a good job trying to uh, uh, not say students names, but uh, this student has graduated. So I feel like a first name is at least OK. Walter. Walter was a very tall, very large young man. Right. You remember Walter. Mm-hmm. Very big guy. And I have to teach Walter like, hey, like this is how you need to protect yourself and, and address the police. You have to be careful because they're not going to treat you like an 18 year old. They're not going to treat you like a 19-year-old. You're too big for this. And, like, that's fucked up, dude. Like, I don't, I'm not uh, I'm not a person of color. You know, like I said, I'm off-white. But, like, I've treated like I'm white everywhere but the airport. <laughs> you know, so, like, and I'm not going to have, like, children of color, you know, like that. Like that. You know, they're going to face these problems. But, like, our, our students are, are children of color. So it's tough, like, to, to tell these kids, like, you have to be measured and careful and how you talk to people in positions of authority, like you have to make them feel safe. That's fucked up, man. You can't put that on a kid to make a police officer feel okay. The person with the gun who make them feel yeah, safe. make them feel safe to do a job that they signed up to do. Our our students didn't sign they didn't up to sign be up treated to be like black, yeah. and they didn't sign up to grow up in a country that treats black people less than. Mm-hmm. But they have to navigate that world in a way that makes other people feel safe that's shitty it all plays into that and each time that they are forced to do that it's forcing them to help continue this legacy of white supremacy in this country the and it's just helping harbor this yeah, white supremacy dude, in this it's country. like I, like literally like the other week i was talking to my social my sociology class and we were talking about uh uh race and life chances and we were talking about jobs and like applying for jobs and black names on resumes versus white names. And there's been plenty of studies of the exact same resume. And all you do is change the name to a black sounding name or a white sounding name. And I have to tell my students, and I feel gross telling my students this, but also like I'm someone who experiences this at the same time, or like maybe, maybe you change your name. And I'm going to uh, bring up two other former students since they've graduated just by first name only. One named Jamari, one named Devel. You know, my name is Bearcon. I'm like, well, maybe 
maybe I use the name, one of my friends told me, maybe use the name Barry. And I told Devel and Jamari, maybe you put the name Dave or Jim on your resume. And that literally increases your chance of a callback for a fucking interview by 50%. And that's it, dude. Like, that's fucked up. It's disgusting. To tell my students that you should go by a name that is not your own because it increases your chances of getting a job is shitty. Because I have to tell them to, for a moment, put aside their identity. To compromise to make other people feel validated. And that's fucked up. But it at is. the same time, if I don't tell them that, I feel equally as shitty. So I can feel shitty telling them, and I can feel shitty not telling them. And so at least give them the information. Exactly. Because it's not going to change how I feel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane that this is, you know, this, but... I guess for me to have people that are just blissfully ignorant of all of this, just blissfully able to just go about their lives thinking, oh, well, this is the goddamn white liberal. Yeah. And we have no issues in this country. And, you know, well, you know, Martin Luther King and he solved racism. He solved racism. And we have the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. (laughs) Now, let's not take into consideration that the Voting Rights Act was gutted by a conservative court in 2013 or anything like that. Yeah, that didn't happen. Speaking of presidential legacies. Joe Biden believes that he needs to pass another Voting Rights Act. What? Another, we need another one? Another one. I thought racism was solved because a piece of paper solves racism because that's what happened when the slaves were freed. Everything was fine. Remember the 13th Amendment back when slavery ended and everything yeah. was okay with black people? Exactly. It's not like there was, you know, time and time again, different institutions created to continue white supremacy in There's this country. There's literally but... an amendment to the Constitution, the 15th, which guarantees equal voting rights uh, for everyone. No matter your race. Unless you are imprisoned. Which is then well, used that's the as thing. well. You gotta find fun ways mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm. You gotta find fun ways around it. Which, by the way, uh, Alabama, really cool, a really interesting law uh, about voting rights. Uh, we did bar felons from voting, but then too many of our Alabama state politicians got arrested <laughs> for corruption laws. <laughs> and we were like, all right, maybe we need to make a change. Uh, if you pay all of your legal fees, then you can vote again. So again, what turning a race issue into a class issue? Fucking classic. And isn't that crazy how that law was passed like that? Whenever it became known. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. all the white dudes were like, shit, I can't vote for my own re-election. It's insane. It's insane. And speaking of white dudes that are controlling the government. Back to Reagan. Right back to Reagan. We're going to talk about Reagan. And, it, you know, it just keeps going with that Reagan's racisms. Uh, you know, that's where the whole term of the welfare queens came about was up, Ronald man. Reagan. Yeah. You know, and he was claimed to be this for the working class guy. But yeah, and this it's just goes to show, like you mentioned, how race and class are tied together. Yeah. And how race is used to, tie, to you know, as a divide and conquer tactic Absolutely. of class. I'm glad our students recognize this. It's amazing. It's It's like... I, it's so eye-opening when you see it. You're like, shit. If more people recognize mm-hmm. it, it'd be okay. Because like, shit, like this hurts white people too, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I told my students one day. I said, there's no difference between a you know somebody up in the hills of West Virginia yeah. dealing with the opioid epidemic and someone in Atlanta in the Dude, projects. I, I showed you know that that uh, that uh, person, that woman from West Virginia, who went viral with her. Uh, she went her testimony to Congress. Mm-hmm. A West Virginia woman who's talking about poverty. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw her. She she made it to, to now this. Mm-hmm. You know the so uh, but talking about this shit like it hurts uh, it hurts everybody regardless of race. Exactly. 
And, you know, that's what Reagan is remembered for, being this working class president, right? Really? So he's remembered for helping out, you know, I, I, I had so much in my paycheck. Just like Reagan fucking here. Trump is a working class president, this right. wealthy bastard. And it's weird how many of the issues that uh, Reagan's going to attack are the same issues that Trump attacked. Because, you know, he claims to be for the working class, but Reagan was anti-labor. He fired 12,000 air traffic controllers. Oh, yeah. That was probably one of the things that most people should remember about, mm-hmm. for sure. They don't remember that. They just remember, or the story's been skewed. Oh, it's because, be... like, they they made traveling harder. Exactly. And Reagan solved it. Exactly. By and paying people less money. Exactly. Fuck you. And that is how it shaped this anti-union bias that has plagued this country ever since. Oh, we've had anti-union bias before that, but. It just, but he it definitely helped it yeah. for sure. Yeah, no, fuel the he fire. threw some kindling in there. Right. It's not. It's not ignoring it. He reduced funding to help the poor. Um, he or shifted funding away. Yeah, because he, they should pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And that's where it comes from. You know, they demonized low-income people, called them welfare queens. Yeah. You know, called them. You know, because just, it's more desirable to live off welfare. Exactly. It's more desirable to live below the poverty line than to be able to provide. I would money. much rather someone else give me less than earn more on my own. Exactly. And that's a personal conviction that I hold. Exactly. And it just, that just, you know, stroked this, this issue of class conflict, this class conflict. Divine and conquer, baby. Yeah, exactly. They cut free lunches to kids. They cut, you know, because. Because these hungry kids need to work for it, damn it. And there's no such thing as a free job or no such thing as a free lunch, right? Yeah. Who fuck? Exactly. No such thing as a free lunch. Fuck these children. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Feed children? What am I? Christian. I don't oh, Crazy concept. I would never. Ever. He cut mental funding to mental health, which led he to the did. drastic increase in homelessness in this country. That was a big factor for him, yeah. To help create the stereotype of homelessness and mental illness being should be criminalized, and he criminalized essentially poverty. He helped to criminalize poverty. Because they're gross, mm-hmm. and I don't like them. He's also a rich person from Southern California, and if there's anything, dude, fuck southern california fuck west coast liberals as a liberal fuck west coast liberals just to be sure like i just need to put that out there west coast liberals are too liberal for their own good they're so liberal they're anti-vax i think one of the cool things about being a liberal in the south is that you have to confront and support your liberalism on a daily basis and people out there on the west coast live in this weird ass bubble where they can body shame and think vaccines are bad and think GMOs don't make sense or whatever are unhealthy for you because they're just surrounded by white liberals. But like, but the bad kind, you know, the uninformed kind. Do you have the that? Was that kind. just laid on your heart? You just had to dude, share I that? fucking hate white liberals. I mean, like West Coast liberals, dude. Yeah, because like, because people talk shit about the Southeast, about the deep South. And like, dude, like we, I feel like Birmingham in particular, because we're a blue dot in a red square. Like we have figured our shit out more than you have figured your shit out because we, you know, our liberalism is a struggle and not the norm. And being born out of a struggle means that, you know, your shit, you can't operate off goodwill. Like you yeah. have to know what you're doing. I would a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. hundred percent. And the last but not least, I just wanted to talk about Reaganomics. And trickle down economics. His worst legacy of all time. Exactly. And I think, honestly, it it lived up to its name, though. Trickle down. 
because literally it they're trickles. A- yeah, literally they're able to skim all the wealth at the top. It pools at the top, and it trickles. And we get our breadcrumbs, and we're supposed to be happy. But like, I that. think that the way we should think about trickle down economics is not like it trickles down like a champagne uh, pyramid, but like it trickles down like we're standing beneath their bathroom mm-hmm. and we're getting pissed on. <laughs> I like that. Like for real, like. Wealth, because we were talking about this before before we started recording, dude. Wealthy people do not spend their money. I teach an economics course. How, like, the way we should think about money in the economy is blood in the body. We need that shit to flow. We need money flowing from households to businesses. We need that money moving back and forth at a constant rate. You give that money to wealthy people, that money does not flow, right? It goes into their bank accounts. It goes into offshore bank accounts. It goes into investments, which does not grow the economy the same way that buying goods and services does. Exactly. And going off of that, Reagan showed that deficit spending works perfectly. It's just where the allocate the resources are allocated. Yeah, we, yeah, ta- yeah. Tax cuts to the wealthy, right? That's deficit spending. Mm-hmm. And but, but people don't think about it that way. Or instead of having, uh, you know, the resources allocated towards the poor helping the poor helping bring up people having programs for that we allocate those resources to military spending to fund our empire give money to the poor you know what they're going to do okay here's the thing if you give money to people who live paycheck to paycheck and you give them money what do you think they're going to do invest are you serious they live paycheck to paycheck they're going to spend all of the paycheck you give them that is their thing. That is why so many, you know, that's why we have that really fun documentary from ESPN, the 30 for 30 broke. Mm-hmm. These fucking people who make it big in athletics go broke. Why? Because they live paycheck to paycheck, even when their paycheck is tens of thousands of dollars. Exactly. And what I love is they talk about how these Reagan tax cuts, like you said, they cut the corporate tax rate, which, you know, Republicans are always like, well, it's so low. And I love that. But what is it? Eisenhower had the highest yeah. Tax rate, corporate yeah. tax rate. Everyone's at ninety percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a great period well, of uh, economic expansion. Yeah. Here's the thing, dude. Yeah, you want to have because uh, the argument is if we raise, uh, if we raise corporate taxes, then these corporations will leave the United States. You know what? You're welcome. Do you want to leave the United States? Do it. Do you really want to live and operate your business in a country outside of the United States? Maybe you do. You know, maybe you do, but a vast majority of these people and these countries who buy are these companies who are American are not going to leave. Like, why? Would, first of all, because these are the same people, these people on the right who believe in American exceptionalism. So just because taxes increase, you're going to leave the country. Where are you going to go? Where's better? Find, tell me a better place that's more exceptional mm-hmm. than we are. No. Yeah. You're going to stay here because we offer all the shit that's cool that you want. America, and look, I'm like a, I'm like a conservative when it comes to this shit. America's the shit, man. You're not going to find a better place. We're fucked up, but find me a place that's less fucked up. I see. And, speak, and, you know, going with this poverty rate, they kept talking about how the poverty rate would fall. And they said that it went from, you know, 14% to 12%. But... Even then, when you look at it, that's because the tax brackets changed that artificially raised people out of poverty. 
because how they changed the corporate tax brackets, it said, oh, well, now you're not in poverty if you have, like, for instance, $25,000 a year. That's not poverty. Well, now, you're still making the same that you used to when you were considered in poverty. Right. But they just literally changed the tax brackets. Yeah, I mean, you move the goalposts and it's easy to, to, to show your progress. Exactly. And, you know, even though people are having the, more money in their pockets. That's why just, Mitt Romney, which, by the way, nobody out there knows, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. My cat, one of, I have two cats, one of them is named Mitt Romney. He's wonderful. Mitt Romney, the cat, and the politician both believe that a child tax credit is the way to go. And it's actually not a tax credit. It's, a, it's, a, it's an allowance, uh, but mm -hmm. it, was, it was proposed as, as a tax credit. But, like, you know, just like because, because it makes fiscal sense to give people, families in particular money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Crazy concept. It's good for the economy. And, you know, the last thing I want to talk about uh, to meet our time criteria is essentially, you know, Reagan, a lot of people would say he set the stage for Trump, which I would agree. But at the yeah. same time, like that racial hatred that he just fed on, it's been here well, well before Reagan. And we were talking about presidents that we didn't mm -hmm. discuss today. Mm -hmm. So Wilson, obviously, yes, set the stage. Reagan, obviously, yes, set the stage. So did people like Hoover. So do people like Coolidge, like so do people like Nixon, like it's not like that's a thing, right? Like we can have another uh, podcast where we talk about presidential legacies, but like the thing is, Trump is not an anomaly. Trump is, if anything, proof of who we are. He's just a manifestation of what's already been here. Exactly. Oh yeah, and that's what it comes down to. You know, even you know, everybody was like, "Well, they shared the Make America Great Again." But they're not the first people that had these America First policies. Did, did, did Trump steal some art from someone? A slogan? Right. Oh, no. Art is stolen all the time. Especially, come on, you're talking about a rich white dude? He didn't make shit. He stole it. Especially Trump. God damn. Talking about just a story of nothing but inheritance. And it's just, they've just mastered this use of, um, in many ways, dog whistle politics. But that's been around ever since when Andrew Johnson after Yo, uh, fuck Andrew Johnson, which yeah. I would have loved to have talked. Yeah, about we gotta talk about that dude. Um, we're gonna have a series. It's gonna be called, you know, presidential legacies. I love it. So each each episode will be a president. I'll find someone who I also besides Jimmy Carter I think is morally upstanding. This we, is gonna be tough though. Maybe I can't. We just have to start <laughs> at the beginning and work our way up. Each yeah, president. We'll do it. Um, but that's just what's crazy is all that. I just he's he's just a manifestation in a long line of presidents. Yeah, he's not. Like, people want to think of Trump as an exception. And I think the scary part is that he's not. He's not an exception. Exactly. Exactly, man. Just like how we approach school, you know, we present this information. And, you know, 95% of people are going to be like, whatever. Yeah. But then also, you know, use this knowledge to be able to be that agent of change yeah. in your community. And that's how I push my students. I'm like, you know. You see what's going on. You yeah. better than anybody else sees yes. what's going on. So Absolutely. why not use that knowledge to be that agent of change in your community? Mm -hmm. You know better than anybody else the issues that are plaguing your community. So local and state government politics are very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's important to have context. It's important to get the whole story. Because uh, otherwise, because we talked about this as a problem kind of throughout the, the podcast here, is, is operating through ignorance is a, is a problem. And uh, you can't learn everything, but you can try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to literally learn anything new. It doesn't hurt to try. Exactly.
Exactly. So I've greatly enjoyed this. Yeah. So very much. It's been super so fun. Much. I'm excited for whenever next time happens. Definitely, definitely. Any last minute thoughts you want to leave the millions and millions of listeners with? The millions and millions of listeners, yeah. So listen, I don't know, uh, crack open a book. Crazy concept. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got for you. All right. All right. Well, until next week, y'all have a great week, and we will check you later.